Welcome to Catch the Fire London podcast. We really pray that you will be blessed and encounter God's transforming presence as you listen to this message. Just, why don't you just bless our online community, but we just want to bless you that you would receive everything that we have received from being in the room and because we know that the spirit realm is so much bigger than the physical realm. So God can do it all. Amen? Amen. Dan. Right, release some anointing towards this young man. Father, we want to thank you for Dan. We want to thank you that he is a life prepared in you. We want to thank you that you love him and he knows your love. And so we ask God that you would make us willing receptacles for what you have placed inside Dan for this morning's word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. He's been enjoying January so far. Yeah? Well, the plan, the plan with a few of you. Yeah? So, some of you are like, it's all right, still figuring it out. We'll see, we'll see when we get to the 31st, whatever. Um, we, the plan for this January preaching was we were talking about doing kind of core messages, right? And so Alistair's next week, so, you know, read his book before Sunday. Um, and then you can see how accurate he is to himself. No. Um, so core cool messages, and it's interesting, when I, when I was preparing, so I was originally in the road to down for two weeks ago, and then, and then I was down for last week, and then I was down for this week, um, and then in the week, I got one of those messages, and you know what was interesting, when the, I started talking to the father, and I was like, what's my core cool message, God? And he, he said to me, it's identity, know who you are, and be un, unmoved and unswayed by the things of the world. And I was like, cool, okay, I can do that. Thinking, yeah, that's fine. Not thinking he was going to give me lots of examples to practice that before I preach. And, you know, it's really important to know that you should practice before you preach, right? And so I was meant to be on three weeks ago. I was meant to be on last week. And then on Thursday morning, I was planning on preparing on Thursday afternoon, right? And kind of for me, preparing is taking all of the random thoughts I've had over the last three weeks of all revelatory stuff and trying to turn them into something that people will understand. Um, and, and then I get a message from Chloe saying, will you lay down your preach? And I was like, Of course. Of course I'll lay down my preach because I'm a son. Because I'm, I'm totally covered by my father's love. And, you know, he, he took me on a journey. And so I want to tell you something. Everything I say this morning is tried and tested. I promise you. Um, but we're going to talk about our identity this morning. Is that all right? But I wanted to talk, start off, actually, about talking about stress and worry. And, and as we started this year, the, the father's been talking to me a lot about worry and things we worry in. And in worship the other week, I was just worshiping away, and God's kind of just intersecting me, talking to me about worry. And he said to me, Dan, in, in my scriptures, I say to you, through Jesus, he says, let tomorrow worry about itself. And he started talking to me about, and about how our condition sometimes is we read that verse and we think, that's great. That just means I've got enough energy to worry about today. You know, and we kind of flip on and say, we go, thank you, Jesus, you got tomorrow covered. Now I can just focus on today and just getting through it because tomorrow's another day. And we, we pray prayers like, you know, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will, I will, I will rejoice and be glad in it. And then we carry on throughout the day and kind of forget it progressively as the day goes on. And we wake up in the morning, start again. And, you know, God, he doesn't say, let tomorrow worry about itself so that you can cope with today. He doesn't say that. He says, let tomorrow worry about itself. In fact, let every minute and moment from this point forward worry about itself. And then, you know, it's really helpful having small children because they really help you understand some things. And, and I was looking at Isla. Isla's just started to understand the concept of money. But to her, money is not a concept for anything other than just getting things she wants. 
And so she plays with money. She does a, in fact, we were playing in the park the other day, and she was pretending that this climbing frame was her house. And so she invited me into her house, and I was like, thank you, Isla. Went into, it's a two-year-old, right? Get this. Went into her house, and she's like, would you like a slice of cake, Daddy? And I was like, yeah, I'd love a slice of cake. Gave me her imaginary slice of cake. And then she stood there and went, money. <laughs> I was like, I mean your house. She's like, I know, money. And, but for her, the thing that I got thinking about with this was that she doesn't worry about money in the same way we do. To her, it is a fuel that allows us to live our lives and enjoy ourselves. So money gets her cake. She doesn't connect the fact that we have to think about a mortgage, we have to think about bills. And, and you know, you look at the year ahead and all these things saying, oh, everyone's household bills are going to increase by a thousand pounds. And then another person says, buy two thousand pounds. And like looking ahead at the situation and we're starting to think, okay, well, I can live on my budget now. What about tomorrow's budget? But, you know, the father creates an atmosphere for us so that we can live in the now, in joy. And in the same way that I create an atmosphere for my daughter and my son that says they get to play and not have to think about, oh man, I should probably, you know, I should probably go and get a job. As a two-year-old, I need to go and get paper around to contribute to the bills of this family. No, we don't. We, we need to exist in an atmosphere where in our mindsets with God, it's not that we're choosing to not engage with something even, but we're so unaware of the reality of worry and so aware of the reality of our condition in him, which is free, which is accepted, that we never concern ourselves about the worries. Because worry actually becomes something that's allergic to our dictionary. Concern becomes allergic to our dictionary. When we look at challenges, we realize, like Dwayne was singing earlier and Chloe ministered into before, that the challenges ahead are nothing but little blips in the journey where we get to see miracles happen. I'll never forget, in 2006, I climbed Mount Kenya on a whim. It was a really stupid whim to have. But I was in Kenya with a load of guys on my gap year, and we were like, let's climb Mount Kenya. Let's do it. Why not? And we had all our belongings for three months. We were wearing trainers and flip-flops, and... We borrowed tents that were leaky, and we climbed up Mount Kenya. Now, if you didn't know, Kenya, Mount Kenya is the second highest mountain in Africa, and it's snow-capped. So we're there expecting summer, sun, shorts, trainers. We reach snow, and we're, like, putting socks on our hands and stuff like that. Like, we're just, like, so unprepared. It was really hard. It was a trial. I got altitude sickness twice, just because the first time, altitude sickness. Attitude sickness is a different thing. We'll talk about... Ashley likes to call having a bad attitude crapitude. Um, that's a different thing. We'll talk about that. But like, I got altitude sickness once and thought, oh, phew, I've gone through it. Next day, boom, got altitude sickness again. It was horrible. Like, you're seeing blurry things, people carrying you, all this stuff. Two weeks later, we flew over Mount Kenya. And I was so disappointed. Because from the plane, I looked down and went, huh, what was all the fuss about? Because it was really flat and looked utterly beautiful. And I'd been like, consumed with the challenge at the moment and the climb ahead, and every step was like, okay, there's 3,000 more to go. Okay, 2,999 more to go. And we kind of live in that mindset, don't we? Why worry? And then, I, I don't know if you saw, there's a TV show on BBC at the moment. I actually haven't watched it. I'm just going to quote from somebody who has watched it and told me things, because that's the easiest way to do it. Um, but who remembers the comedian Badil, the duo Badil and Skinner? If you've ever heard Three Lines on Your Shirt, that was them. Um, but he is currently, he's a self-professed social media addict. And they're doing a study on him at the moment about stress and social media. And, and they put brain scanners on his head and tested him every day after, in different situations, like just after he'd written a tweet, just as he was thinking about going on Twitter, every day scanning. And you know his stress indicators went through the roof every single time he did anything on social media. 
When, and what I want to talk about today, really, is thinking about worry and stress, but also how much energy do we expend on our perception of how other people perceive us? Because it used to be that we just think about other people's perception of us and managing that, but it's become another ball game entirely because we think about how other people are going to think about us thinking about them. <laughs> Did you track that? And we, we spend so much of our energy not just even worrying about tomorrow, but I feel like if Jesus had done that verse today, he'd say, don't worry, full stop. Get rid of the concern about how people are going to look at you, the way you perceive that you want to be presented, the things you see of yourself that are broken. Just think about who I say you are in all things and live that person. And, you know, classically with sonship, I've always just talked about adoption. We're going to get there. But what I wanted to say, first of all, is before God even adopts you, you need to adopt yourself. Because we live in an age where the world's trying to tell us that we're unacceptable. But God gave me these words. He said, we're always accepted. He said, we're never rejected because we know who we are. And if we can turn that from just being a word to being an attitude to being a heart condition, then we're unstoppable. And so do you want to, maybe we just deal with that. Who, who thinks they're probably a little bit dangerously concerned about social media sometimes? I'm going to put myself there. Okay, let's go to another level. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer said that we should pray, give me today my daily bread. How many of you woke up in the morning and check your social media feed straight away? How many of you are feeding yourself on the things you see others doing or the things that you want others to see of you yourself? Our daily bread is being distorted and destroyed. The manner that God is creating for us in his words to us are becoming minimized and sidelined and, and, and sidetracked in opposed to what the world says about us. And why would you allow people who you know are as broken as you are to be the authority that speaks into who you are? We live in a world, yeah, come on. We live in a world where we ascribe to be like something we're not and we ignore the something that we are, even though the something we are is far more powerful than that thing we're not could ever be. Give us today our daily bread. Are we feeding on scraps from the table of becoming fat on brokenness and bitterness and comparison? Are we feeding from a feast table of our enemies? Or are we feeding from a feast table placed in the presence of our enemies? In Psalm 23, after all the stuff of leading us through the valley of the shadow of death and this beautiful thing of saying your rod and your staff will be a comfort to me and just this reminder of who we are and where we walk and how we walk and how we're never apart from him. We get to this moment where it says you prepare a feast table for me in the presence of my enemies. And I think sometimes as a church we get it a little bit wrong because we want our feast table to be in the presence of our best friends. The feast table to be in the presence of those who think, look, sound like us so it's really easy to feast. But it says the feast table will be in the presence of our enemies. We're, we've become dangerously close to feeding on the feast that our enemy prepares. When actually we should take a feast into that atmosphere and welcome them to join us at it. So they're feeding from the feast that we carry. So they're feeding from the feasts of heaven above. We're not clothing ourselves like they do. We clothe ourselves in the full armor of God protected, accepted, never rejected, knowing that we can walk into any room, atmosphere, place, thing, trial or challenge, never being knocked back. I used to think it was a bit like a boxing match with the enemy where we get really good as we mature in crisis because we're getting better at ducking and dodging. 
And we're coming at him and he's throwing his punches. And if he hits us, it's all right. Our feet are planted so we might dip back and come forward again. But do you know, actually, it's nothing like that. Because we're not going forward towards the enemy. We're walking away from him. We're out of reach. It's like, shadow, it's not even like he's, he's, it's like he's shadow boxing now. Because he's over here trying to have a fight with us. And we're like, I'm not listening to you. I'm over here. You might swing your best shot. I'm out of reach, mate. I'm not even looking at you. I'm not even aware of the fact you're swinging because I'm over here exalting and glorifying God. How many of you wish the life was that easy? I'm telling you, it can be because it is. Stop trying to dodge the punches of the enemy and get out the ring. Don't even go in there. He's already beaten. He's already taken down. He's been given his just deserves and he didn't like it. And he's trying to remind you that he's in power, but he's not anymore. He is powerful. Don't let tomorrow's worries come on to you. Close talking about unabandoned worship. Or abandoned worship even. Not unabandoned, that's the one we don't want. Abandoned worship. Abandoned from what? Oh, but what if they don't like my singing voice? What if I look a bit, if I look a bit silly? What if the person next to me is trying to worship and I distract them with how awesome my worship is? <laughs> what if I'm asked to do this not in this room anymore? What if the pastor says, oh, I want you to be abandoned in your worship outside? Ooh. It's all right when I'm surrounded by other weird Christians. But what about out there? What about my family? What about my friends? What about my neighbors? Abandoned worship doesn't, isn't a choice for a moment. It's a reality. We live in a world where the world's trying to tell us to be concerned about its perception of us. But we shouldn't be concerned by anything because we're chosen. Let's read some Bible to make this legit, hey? Galatians 4. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. How many of you feel like a slave sometimes? You feel like you're just rocked back and forth in that world of, I, I really want to do it. I'm trying really hard, Jesus, but this stuff is heavy. He was under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in the bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father, Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And let me say something that I've heard Sue say a million times before, and I've repeated a million times. It's not about gender in this moment. It's about position. And, and as you read that, I almost felt like, in fact, when Chloe said earlier, this time next week we're all going to be millionaires. And then said, there's people in this church who by this time next year are going to be millionaires. I caught in the spirit. It's interesting. I caught in the spirit. And I, I did this myself, and I feel like someone, someone else did too. Or someone being like, well, maybe a million pennies. You can be a millionaire of pennies, and that's 10,000 pounds, by the way, so it's still a good amount of money. But you can be a millionaire of pennies, but why would you limit God in a moment of release? Why would you limit God in your perception? Why would you say, God, you're glorious, almighty, and powerful, but in me, I've got my little piece of you? 
If you are who he says you are, then you don't even need to be a millionaire. Because in the Bible, it says that you will lend to nations and borrow from none. Tell you what, nations cost more than a million pounds. And so millionaires is just a starting point. It's not about the money, but it's about the fact that we have the resources of heaven. The other week when I was doing the offering talk, I said about how if we have storehouses that just fill up of all the stuff that we've gathered and we never empty it, there's never ever room for him to pour in more storehouse stuff. And your storehouse might be diamonds today, it might be riches next week, it might be health the week after, but if you don't make space for the stuff to come into your storehouse, you're going to experience yesterday's manner. It talks here about adoption. There's two things I love about this verse. The first thing is it says, the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. And I was, I was stood in, again, I stood in worship once about to preach this message. And we used to say it from the point of view of like when, like my daughter Isla, when she scrapes her knee and she goes, Daddy, she needs a hug. And that's legit and that's amazing. But I almost interpreted it that like because the Holy Spirit's within me, I can live in a world of being like, oh, Father, would you help me? But it's missing the point entirely because it's not that at all. It's like, do you, who, whoever remembers, they probably have one in Pinner, the town crier. Do you know what a town crier is? Usually a big portly bloke in a big nice coat with a big bell going, hear ye, hear ye, I have good news to tell. <laughs> Did you like that? The Holy Spirit within you is not there so you can have a pity party at the feet of Jesus. Because he experienced far worse than you did so that you could stand in the freedom you're in right now. He doesn't need reminding of how much he paid for. He needs you reminding of what he paid for. And in that moment, Holy Spirit is inside of you in every moment going, Abba Father is here. Abba Father is here. I'm stepping into darkness. Light is here. I'm stepping into trial. Light is here. We've got two amazing girls who are part of FAM with Stephen, but also part of this church community as well, Hawan and Jasmine. And they work in pediatrics, in neonatal care with babies that are literally on their deathbed. That's a hard job to do. When they walk on that ward, Abba Father is here. The atmosphere changes. Babies get healed because of the glory of God. I'll never forget the first... Um, time Ashley was in her current job in Hounslow Council, and she was her first client was a little girl who was completely nonverbal with autism. Nobody had ever been able to get her to speak, and all Ashley did was every time he walked into that house, she said, "Jesus is with me." Every time she walked out, she said, like, "I thank you that Jesus is staying there as well." And then after four months of working there, the child began to speak. Come on. She didn't need the family to say it's a miracle because sometimes they might be on a journey of seed being sown. But she knew that God had come because a daughter of the king had shown up. Are you going to show up or are you going to be shown up? Ooh. Are you going to show up or are you going to be shown up? And so Abba cry within you is the atmosphere of heaven with you every step of the day. But then adoption, we've all been adopted as children of God. And I did a bit of research into this a while ago, and I want to tell you something about the Roman adoption, which changed my life, and I hope it changes yours. You see, Paul was writing this in a time when the Romans were the ones in the rule, so it was their laws that were in action. And in Roman society, it was a caste system. And so essentially, the more pure-blood Roman you were, the more you wanted to stay that way. And so... and. Rome was built upon families and keeping that family DNA go for generations. But if a Roman did not have an heir, the normal practice would be he'd go to one of his slaves who had a son and say, I'd like to have your son as my heir. And who knows in that moment the slave is going to go, yes, please, because they know that child's life is about to change. And so 
they would then go to the court and they'd say, hi, I'm Meridius Decimus Whateverus, and I want, to, I want to adopt this child as my own. And so the, the child would be presented and the court would decide a fee. And they'd say, okay, well, first of all, you need to pay this much for this. And by the way, it was an incredibly expensive thing to go through because the Romans were so obsessed with keeping pure. When Even like you look at the way they overtook nations, they established their culture, but it's still Romans who operated it. It was Rome led by Romans in Roman ways. And so they present the child. And then they stand, so you have the judge in the middle, you'd have the Roman on one side, you'd have the child and the slave family on the other side. And one, the, first of all, the child would go across to the Roman and collect the fee for the court and take it back to the family. And then the second time, the child would go across to the Roman and collect the fee, which was the payment of the debts for the family. Because tell you something, the debts of a... You know, slaves don't earn any money. And so what do they do when they need to get things? They live in debt. It's a world of debt, crippling debt that you can never get out of. Slavery isn't just bondage, it's debt. There's a debt that's paid for. The family is paid for. Then the child goes back again. And then there's one last payment, and it's the payment for their freedom. Because, and check this out, so the child goes across, pays for the freedom, then comes back across to the Roman. And in that moment, something in Latin, I won't make up for this time because it'll ruin it, but the judge will say something in Latin like, it is finished, hit his gavel on the floor, and then a clerk would take the papyrus that all of the history and the record of that slave family is written on in temporary ink, would erase the name of that child. That child would get a new name. It would be written in the family tree in permanent ink of the Roman family. It would say, the judge would say, it is finished. And legally, check this out, firstly, it was never, ever able to be reversed. Irreversible. The second thing was that the child would no longer be associated with slavery and would be as legitimate a child as if it had been born of the loins of that household itself. Their, ex their expectation of bloodline was based on acceptance and choice, not on a scientific test. And then what would happen in that moment is the child being in position would also affect the position of the family it left behind. Irreversible. Come on, isn't that amazing? But then also, you know, our legal system is based on Roman legal systems. And so did you know today that an adopted child has more legal rights than a natural-born child? An adopted child can't be disowned. A natural-born child can be. An adopted child can't have inheritance taken away from them and actually can reclaim inheritance legally when it's been lost in the courts. An adopted child is chosen not because of who they are, not because of what they've done, not because of where they've come from, but because the one who wants them has chosen them. You have that cry of heaven resounding through you and you're chosen, not because of something you've done or deserved, because you're going to be really good at thinking of all the reasons why not to believe this, but you're chosen because he wants you. You're chosen because he created you. You're chosen because he desires you. You're chosen because he believes in you. And we need to start getting rid of this weirdness we have about self-belief and start believing that I can change a thing. I can do a thing. And not in a place of pride of being like, oh, well, if I come and say I'm here so it's going to be sorted, everyone's going to think I'm being a weirdo, but actually recognizing that you're part of a household that only does transformation. It's impossible for the household of heaven to not change stuff. And so when you're in the household of heaven, you change things. 
Atmospheres shift and change. Things may happen at you, but you show up in the atmosphere of that and it changes everything. I was on holiday. And I'm just going to have a bit of a rage a statement at the moment. I would say, we'd, people would describe this as I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Can I just say something? We need to stop saying stupid things. Why would you give a bed any authority over how your behavior is? <laughs> Excuse me, bed. Did I wake up in the correct way this morning? Would you like to tell me how I'm going to behave today, please? No, that's like, nonsense. But anyway, I was in a bit of a, I was on holiday and I was miserable. I was being grumpy and we went to church. And we went to church because I don't believe in going on holiday away from Jesus. And so we went to church. I was being obedient, but I was being obedient through gritted teeth. And I was letting God and everyone know about it. And, and the worship was like, they were, they were going, but like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't how I like worship to be. And so I was getting a bit grumpy about it. And I was like, cool, they could really do a catch fire coming to a conference to teach them how to worship properly. That'd be really good. It's <laughs> just, just being real. And, and then it was like one of those churches where... They have, so I'm, I'm blessed with a very loud voice, as do as, as well. And I find sometimes in churches that I find it quite easy to be louder than the PA system. And so they were singing a certain song that I think should only ever be sung really, really loud, which is I'm a Child of God by, um, by the Helsers. And, um, and, and we're going through the verses, and I'm, I'm there being miserable. I'm like, I am a child of God. Yeah. Whoa. Why are we saying whoa? It's not even a word anyway. And then, and it's building up, and the worship is getting into it, and everyone's getting into it, and I'm like, starting to feel like, oh yeah, something's happening here. Interesting. Like, this, there's this thing going on inside of me. It's called an Abba cry. That's going, yeah, come on. And like, the, it's, it's worship's going, and I'm like, and I find myself, I'm starting to repent. And it gets to the bit of the, of the bridge where it's like, you split the seas, and suddenly, this like, I erupt forth from my stupidity, and I'm like, you split the seat. And I, like, it's just like the, the anointing just hit me. And suddenly all of my rubbish I was wearing and clothing myself in and the getting up from the wrong side of the bed nonsense and listening and just being like, you know, oh, God, I'm so rubbish today. I'm, I'm Father God, I scraped my emotional knee and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, like, and I, just, I just, a shift happened, right? I renewed my mind. I repented. And then suddenly I found myself, it was like, that moment where you go for a plane up for a storm cloud and suddenly it's beautiful sunshine. And it's like, as quick as that happens, my atmosphere changed. And as my atmosphere changed, I erupted forth with glorious worship and the guy in front of me clapped his hand to one ear and fell on his knees and started to cry. And I went, oh, that's weird. Two minutes ago, I'd have probably, in my... Whereas me and Espen like, oh, please don't let it be my fault. I'm so ashamed. I made a man cry. I hurt his ear. Because the enemy starts to come in. Like, you know, it says in the Bible, it says, like a flood, the enemy comes in. Like a flood, not a flood. Remember the Noah journey? God said, I will never flood this earth again. The enemy will try to make you think in that moment you're being flooded. You're too ugly. You're too fat. You're too thin. You're too loud. Your singing's bad. You hurt that man's ear. It all starts to come in. I'm like, no, you split the seas so I could walk right through it. So I, me, you knocked down the walls. You broke down the barriers. You set me free. You did it. And this guy got to his knees and walked to the front and did that thing that seemingly people have no rules in other churches. He just took the microphone. And I was like, I'm sorry to interrupt worship. And I was like, 
handbrake, that's weird. Um, and he's like, but I'm on a Sunday off this Sunday. I'm a worship leader from other church. For the last 14 years of my life, I've been deaf in one ear until my brother behind me started to sing and my ear got opened up in that moment. There is an Abba cry. There is an atmosphere shift when the sons and daughters of God believe who they are. The world changes around them. Come on. He is glorious and he is in you. Are you ready to show up? Are you ready to show up? Because it's not about how you present yourself to be the world seen. And I'm going to do something a bit weird, but God told me to do it in the worship, so I'm going to do it anyway. You know, we, we live in this atmosphere where we try to say to the world, I have to present myself well. And if I'm not having a great day, then I'm making excuses about it rather than leaning on him. But, you know, someone said to me when I arrived at church, I love they said, really nice shoes, Dan. And I was like, great. The shoes don't matter. The shoes don't matter at all. I could wear any shoes. If you're looking at me as, oh, that's a good preacher, that's a pastor because he's dressed nicely, we've got the wrong concept. We've got the wrong idea. My, a friend of mine saw me the other day and was like, that's a really good watch, Dan. I was like, yeah, it is, isn't it? And I started to get all nice inside of me, being like, oh, yeah, I've got a really nice watch. This is great. It doesn't matter about the flipping watch. It's not about the watch. It's not about what we look like. It's not about how we're perceived. It's about who we are. And if these things try to add worth to us, if these things try to make us feel like, oh, I can be a stronger Christian today because I've got my good clothes on, it doesn't matter. It's a load of nonsense. I have to wear glasses, but they don't define who I am. I chose nice lenses because I thought it would look cool. It doesn't matter. I can't see half of you now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Don't worry, I am wearing a T-shirt underneath this shirt. I went to get changed in the middle of worship, and Ashley looked at me and was like, what on earth are you doing? I was like, I'm following the Lord. I'm being obedient. We can dress up our atmosphere we can cover ourselves in accolades. We can cover ourselves in attributes. We can say, I've done this qualification. I've done that qualification. They're all good things. It's nice to wear nice clothes. It's nice to have a nice watch. It's good to have a nice car and a nice house. But if it becomes bigger than God, then it's not worth it. Are you going to show up or are you going to be shown up? This button's really tricky with one hand. Are you going to be showing up or showing up? You know, there may even be things that really matter to you that you're hiding. That you're saying, oh, I just, I don't know if I'm ready for them to be seen anymore. I don't think I'm ready to be that vulnerable. I don't think I'm ready for people to see the true ugliness that I believe I have in me or the brokenness I have in me. And let me tell you something. At the start of lockdown, March 2020, I broke a tooth. Now, I'm going to take it out right now. This is going to get weird. Because it's not about how you look at me. It's not about how well I've done my hair today. It's not about what I'm wearing, what I'm dressed in, how my, my smile is. If I think I've got a nice smile but I'm doing nothing for Jesus, then it's an utter waste of time. Are you going to show up or are you going to be shown up? David wrote in his Psalms, shine a light in my heart, oh God. Shine a light in my heart and reveal to me any wicked way within me. 
And he was someone who God said, that's a man after my own heart. And I think often we've looked at David and we said, yeah, but he was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He, he was broken. And so, you know what? There's hope for me because I'm aware of my, f- my failures. And so I can associate to David because of my failures. But no, 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 no. We don't associate based on failure. We associate based on glory. We associate based on worship. We associate based on who he is. And together we stand. Together we're seen. Together we show up and say, God, you are glorious. And even if I don't feel my offering is much to lay at your altar today, I'm going to do it anyway. Let me tell you something. It's not even about you being an offering anymore because he was the offering. It's about you making your life an altar that he can come and reside on. Why don't you stand? I'm just going to put my tooth back in because it's actually quite hard to speak. (sighs) You are never rejected. Yes, please, Dwayne. You're always accepted. And in that place, you get to learn who you are. And first of all, I just want to just, before you can even be adopted in terms of your knowledge of your adoption, before you can even accept the fact that God likes you or even could love you, you need to just love yourself. Especially in January when everyone's like, new year, new me. How am I going to build a veneer of myself this year? Who are you? You're a child of God. Who are you? You are accepted. Who are you? You are loved beyond measure. Who are you? You're a powerhouse in the kingdom. Who are you? You're handsome. Who are you? You're beautiful. Who are you? You are a glory house in the making. But it doesn't matter if you feel ready yet because it's his glory anyway. Who are you today? And if you can't say, I am a child of God in response to that, but maybe you say, I'd like to be. You know, you could even be looking at me right now and think, well, that's all right for Dan. He's really confident. That's a journey. Destroying the demons of your life that would try to destroy your confidence isn't about becoming someone who's just blustery and full of hot air and able to do things. It's about standing in the knowledge that it doesn't matter what happens in my world. I'm accepted. I'm never rejected. I know who I am. We need to stop letting the mirror that we allow in front of us to tell us who we are and stand and say, God, who am I? Who am I? And so we're going to do some more prayer stuff in a minute, but I think almost first of all, I just want to give an opportunity for if you're, if you're one of the people who you're still being like, I really want to say I am a child of God and yell it from the rooftops, but I'm struggling. With the question of who I am, who am I comes, you, you stand and you start to 
say, well, I don't pray enough. I don't read my Bible enough. I'm too fat. I'm too thin. I eat too much food. I've got too many false comforts. I've got secrets in my life. If you start to list the reasons why not rather than understanding the reason why is far bigger, then just come forward. Come forward. Not so everyone can look and go, ha, 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 look at that person. No, that's not the point right now because we've all been, we're all broken in different measure because we're all on a journey. And if this is you online, then maybe in your room, you just get on your knees right now. But if you want to come forward to make a statement right now that I'm leaving behind the grave clothes, I'm leaving behind the evidence of a world that is broken, that can die, and I'm stepping into a reality of an everlasting life in you, Jesus. I'm stepping into a reality that says that in me is everlasting life, not for when I die, but for right now. That shout as Lazarus come forth is over you right now. And so come, thank you for those of you who have come, come. If you feel all too aware of the grave clothes, come. If you feel all too aware of the negative reasons, then come. Just not in the middle because there's some coffee on the floor, but that's okay. We ministered before into broken dreams. With broken dreams comes disappointment, doubt, frustration. If that's you, come. Not to be seen, but to show up. guys who've come forward, but also anyone online and anyone in the room who, maybe that's a big, too big a step yet. Right now, I just speak freedom over you. You are accepted. You're never rejected. That anything that would say that you are is a lie from the pit of hell. And lies from the pit of hell don't have life on them, so they can't live. They have to die because they're death in itself. And so we just shrug them off right now. And we say, get off Get away, be gone in Jesus' name. And in the same way as in that Roman law court right now, we just say, Father, I thank you that you've paid the price for us to even be presented. You've paid the price for us to be brought at the cost. You paid the price for the freedom of the world that's still fallen. You paid the price to set us free. And we just say we are unchangeable. We are renewed. And then for the rest of you, I'm going to ask you the question, who are you? And I want you to just shout for your atmosphere. It may be loud, it may be quiet, but it needs to have some grit. I am a child of God. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? 
And in the name of Jesus right now, I bless you to be so aware of the spirit of adoption in your life that you would be only hearing the Abba cry. You'd only be seeing the opportunities of heaven. You'd only be experiencing the truth of his voice. And we command every lie, every distraction, every word spoken to come into perspective right now. And I give you the blessing of flying over those mountains in Jesus' mighty name, of seeing the perspective of heaven that you would happen to this world from heaven down not leaning to lean up towards heaven to fuel you for the day and we say worry and stress you get out of our house you get out of our people you get out of our environment in Jesus mighty name you're not welcome this year I felt the Lord say this year that this is 2020 take two that that where there's been promises broken in 2020 in 2022 they will come to pass that when there's been fear that tried to grip it would be broken and the anointings are coming, appointings are coming. Are you ready to show up? Are you ready to show up? Come on, someone's got to say yes to that. Are you ready to show up? Can we sing that, Dwayne? I know you're kind of ready. Can we sing it? I've, I've done that thing that I've just not listened to the chord progression and just jumped straight into the middle of like a build-up. <sighs> No longer 